Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs discusses the factors that impact on the quality of silage at cutting. Well, there is some silage cut already, um, um, but I suppose the reason I'm going to talk about it today is I think we tend to forget a little bit about silage quality. Like we, and we only think of silage quality at the time that we're using the silage. Um, and we're disappointed maybe in a lot of cases as to how the silage has worked out for us. So as a result, um, I just think that we, okay, we can, we talk about silage planning and Joe often talks about it, about trying to have a strategy around silage and that's fine, that's grand, but that's not much good to us right now because it's not going to, to we can't do a whole pile to control things at the moment. What we can control at the moment is our cutting date, I suppose, and the influence that that can have on silage quality uh, is quite dramatic. So I just want to go through a few bits on that. I suppose um, the, we'll say the whole preservation piece, I'll touch slightly on it maybe, but I would be hoping to talk to Francis Quigley and Tom Fallon there in the next couple of days as well around the whole management of the pit and how that can influence um, feed out quality as well in, the, in maybe in the next week or two as well. So cutting for quality silage, right. <clears throat> I suppose all of this, if you want to get further information on it, is in an excellent document that we produced a couple of years ago. Uh, so if you just Google the Chagas Silage Manual, you'll find a PDF uh, called Quality Grass Silage for Dairy and Beef Production Systems, a best practice guide. And it's a very, very good read and I would recommend it to anyone to have a look through that. Um, now, I, what I would say, I suppose, is that uh, from the point of view of obviously the dependence that we have on grazed grass as a system of production in Ireland, obviously we're quite good at growing grass. And getting better every year, probably, and the utilization aspect of it, I suppose, we, we're constantly improving. And um, the one thing I would say, I suppose, is that we're probably, I, I would generally find that we probably have, because we're so focused on growing grass and that we, our production system is based on, on grazed grass, we probably don't put enough emphasis on silage quality. And so we're good at growing grass and maybe terrible at making silage in, in a way. Um, Whereas when you look at, we'll say maybe Northern Ireland, there's a lot more focus put on, on uh, silage and they do good quality silage. Uh, and maybe even in the Dutch systems as well and in, on the continent, obviously, where they're housed and the silage is an important part of their diet the whole way around, they have a, a lot of focus on silage quality. So I suppose I think that stems probably, and you can understand why, from a quarter scenario many years ago, there was very little justification to have high quality silage because in a lot of cases cows were being dried off early in order to stay under quota etc so that from a condition point of view they didn't really need high quality silage and we'll come to that in a second um, but as we've moved into that non-quota era and obviously the capacity or the potential is there to milk on late into the season the need for quality silage on farm has increased dramatically um, for milking cows in particular and of course, there's always been a requirement for good quality silage for young stock and the role that that has to play uh, in getting hitting targets in terms of weight gain, etc., are, are very important. So just what, what are the benefits of good silage planning? And that's what that manual is covering is, I suppose, the whole uh, piece around planning for silage for the whole year. How much do you need? How much of each type do you need? Um, I suppose you could get bogged down in it, um, but I would think that you should be aiming to make quality silage every time you make silage. In reality because with the best will in the world as you can see there weather is challenging at the moment so there could be potential that a harvesting day could be a little bit later than you might initially plan and as a result if you're planning for 
moderate quality silage and you get delayed, you end up being down here then at poor quality silage. And there's a negative associated with that, both in terms of intake and, and quality and so forth. So what are the benefits of good silage planning and good, having good silage? Obviously, quite clearly, there's a reduced concentrate feeding element to it. And that's uh, across dairy, uh, dairy milking cows and uh, young stock that for growth targets and bee cattle as well. You get an improvement in milk solids yield. So there are some farms that are quite good at making silage. And actually, you will. I, I know of one case where I used to see a situation where when the cows actually went to grass, they used to take a bit of a dip in performance because the silage quality was so good. Uh, I suppose the focus on that farm was on, on having really good silage and maybe the grass quality mightn't have been as good at the time. So there was actually, a, the cows went backwards when they went out a small bit. Um, improved cow condition at calving, obviously the management of body condition is an important element of how the whole cyclical system of spring calving works. And obviously good silage is going to lend itself to good cow condition. Now there is a caveat, obviously Joe spoke to us earlier in the year, as well around the whole cows being overfat and how that can influence uh, conditions such as ketosis and milk fever as well. But in general, I think it's, I probably prefer to be trying to reduce the amount of high quality silage being fed than trying to supplement a poor quality silage. That's my own opinion anyway. In terms of better herd fertility, that's tied into number three with the cow condition. And as I said, replacement heifers at target weight that's going to be driven by high quality silage intake over their first winter. Reduced uh, concentrated intake in, in many cases where silage quality is good and protein levels are sufficient. Um, heifers can achieve those target weights without having to be fed high levels of feed, uh, which is obviously a cost saving. Uh, improved daily gain then for anyone that has stock or for cattle and there's, and that's I suppose that's true for any, any young stock um, that are on the farm or any, any type of stock that are on the farm. They're obviously the better intake from a better quality feed is going to improve their for daily gain. Shorter finishing periods obviously as well, so if we have better quality silage with a higher energy dense diet, it can result in a shorter period of feeding to achieve the, the finish cover of fat and, and carcass um, target as well. And funnily enough, I suppose, and this is counterintuitive, or this can sometimes be counterintuitive, higher annual grass yield by better planning of silage. So what we will see over the next number of weeks, is we, and particularly as we move into June, you'll see big cuts of silage taken off the ground that hasn't been grazed all year potentially so far. Huge, huge cut of silage taken off of it. Field white for two to three weeks. Um, then it starts to green up again, and the second cut will be probably touching into mid to late August. By the time there's any sort of recovery on that field, uh, this is going to be well out into September. So the potential for uh, any kind of significant level of grazing off of outside blocks of silage ground uh, in those kind of scenarios is limited, probably only going to get one grazing. Whereas um, earlier cut first cuts lead to earlier cut second cuts, allow for potential third cuts if necessary, uh, and also allow for greater le uh, level of grazing in the back end of the year. So overall, the amount of grass that's grown on silage ground can be increased by uh, planning it better in order to get better quality silage, as well as uh, increasing the overall grass production of that block. In terms of the target silage DMD, uh, it seems strange to be talking about this on the 13th to 14th of May, but just to, I suppose, as I said, just to re refocus the mind in terms of what are we trying to achieve or in the next couple of weeks when we go to cut the silage. If you are in an autumn calving situation, you're going to need really high quality silage, obviously, because you're trying to produce milk 
um, from cows that are in the early stages of lactation, obviously at that point, uh, and they need a higher energy level completely compared to that. We'll say your 74 then is kind of a good, a very good 72 to 74 kind of is a good quality silage that you're going to need for your spring calvers there to buffer them during the month of February. And also you could argue that that silage is needed, there's really no argument there, is that silage is going to be needed during the month of November and into December as well. Because as we look at the grass situation, you'll see more and more farms because of stocking rates creeping up a little bit, that the, the grass situation is finishing up the 7th to the 14th of November. Was a time that that maybe was going to the 7th of December when there wasn't as high stocking rates maybe on milking platforms. And um, we didn't need that kind of silage to come into the system. Now we do need good quality silage at the back end of the year as well. We're looking at possibly having two, the equivalent of two to three bales of, of high quality silage to cover that later autumn, um, early spring period to, cover, to make sure that there's adequate silage available for cows. But again, I think we should be aiming for to try to make as much high quality silage as possible um, in order to get somewhere in, in, in this window, I suppose, that you're going to where you want to be. Um, in terms of then the, the young stock, as I said already, they, they need high quality silage. We need to drive their performance as much as possible. And if we can do it from uh, a minimal concentrated input, obviously that's done at a cheaper rate um, rather than having to feed heavily during that first winter in order to achieve live weight gain targets so that heifers can be bred at the right stage. And obviously weaning cattle then as well, you can see often see, I suppose, if you look at marks and I suppose the, the advantage of the, the, the pandemic has been that you can, you can uh, view these mark sales online, obviously. You can see the difference in, um, you know, almost tell the reason why uh, some stock are better than others. We'll say you could have an animal born on the 1st of March 2020 being sold there in recent times, and um, one weighing an awful lot more than the other, probably down to a combination of both better grassland management and actually better... Um, better stock management and better silage over the course of the winter that they've uh, had greater levels again throughout the winter period. And obviously that weight then translates into a better price for that person selling that animal as well. So it's a win-win to make sure that we have quality silage on the farm. The 70 type DMD stuff, I suppose, uh, and as I said, people can often try to plan to make this 68, 70 DMD and then we end up in this 66 or less situation down here. Um, so that's suitable for a dry dairy cow that's uh, drying off in good body condition score um, or your dry dairy cow in poor body condition needs that slightly higher quality silage. Suckler cows and milk, for any of you that have those, maybe would need that 70 DMD silage as well. And then that 66 material is, in, is what a dry suckler cow needs. They're inclined to put on a lot of condition. But again, because we're milking later into the year now, um, not limited by quota, cows condition, um, and obviously, again, the whole, if you get a bad month of October, maybe you all know how quickly cows can melt in, in, that, in tough scenarios there where their intake has been compromised by, by uh, poor weather, that they can lose a bit of condition in spite of what levels of feeding they're maybe getting at, at the time while milking. So good quality silage is an important piece of the jigsaw as far as I'm concerned, because in many cases, um, we have people that are using silage for definitely four months and possibly even up to five months a year so that needs to be high quality silage in that scenario this i suppose is what i want to focus on in particular this morning it's that growth stage and how it influences silage quality so the temptation is always there to leave a crop bulk up and as i said that results in 
uh, a big load of silage, which is great, I suppose, from the point of view of you're happy that you're getting value for money out of the, the contractor at that stage um, in terms of the quantity of silage that he's expected to draw for whatever charge he's charging. But the downside of that is that the quality is deteriorating the more we move on. So I suppose just I, I'm quite conscious of the fact that given the month of April that we've had, in some cases, people have grazed their silage crops even uh, and are now trying to start from scratch again. Um, and I'm going to touch on that in a second. But in reality, we still, no matter, we have to be very aware of the, the growth and the impact of growth now over the next number of weeks. So temp, definitely a lot milder in the last day or two. I know we've been up and down. There's been a touch of an orderly wind there in the last couple of days as well, which has made it a little bit cooler again than anticipated. But at the same time, LED's figures for grass growth for the coming week are in the region of 60 to 80. And I suppose if you factor that in then for a silage ground, a bit of silage ground that's closed, that could actually be potentially growing up to 150, 160 kilos a day. So quite quickly, your silage crop could, has the potential to bulk up. So it's probably important in that context to, to keep an eye on your crop of silage um, because it can very quickly move from one stage to the next. So look, I think the people that are looking to, to take quality silage, they've, some of them have moved already. I've seen, as I said already, silage crops were cut last week uh, when the weather was good. Um, but they weren't grazed, all, uh, hadn't been grazed till, since the back end of last year. And this is, or it's the right thing to do was to get those off early. So they were in this, uh, probably in this stage, the crops that I saw last week were kind of just between this phase here. So that'll, that should result in good quality silage for that, for that farm. Um, we're, we're just trying to watch out for this. So just as the, the head is beginning to emerge, or the seed head is beginning to emerge on the crop, this is where we want to be in order to have that 71, 72 DMD. And we move very quickly, I suppose, and it's important to note this from this stage into this stage. Uh, and you can see the, the deterioration that comes in quality then. And as we move into this high bulky density crop with a very, very clear seed head on it, um, we are, and also the bend, as you can see down low, because of the weight of the crop up above it, the quality of the silage that we're now harvesting has deteriorated quite quickly. And again, along the bottom here, and as I said, it's in the manual if you want to look, uh, if you want to look it up, it's just emphasizing what each of these categories are, what this looks like, and what that feeds back into in terms of the cows that you're trying to feed subsequently. So I suppose we need to be trying to aim to cut in this area here, ideally, and, and maybe a proportion of the, of the crop needs to be in this stage in order to have the high quality silage for the back end uh, as we run into dry off and then in the early spring phase when we're not fully reliant on the grass situation um, because we just can't uh, have enough grass on the farm at that stage. Okay, So I suppose it's just to, to be very, the other thing that you have to be aware of and as I said just given the month of April that we've had and because it's kind of slowed the growth of crops and so forth you just can't forget that seed Crops are going to go to seed. Their nature, especially in silage crops, is that they're probably going to start to head out in, from the 25th of May onwards, probably. Uh, and in some cases where people have used intermediate varieties, they could actually start to head a bit sooner. So as soon as that head starts to emerge, um, most of you will probably be wondering about nitrate levels and so forth like that. But at the same time, as I said, given those crops could potentially be growing uh, well in excess of 100 now where there's cover and there's a bit of warmth in the ground as a result of that cover, they will use up their nitrogen. The other thing is, I suppose, um, 
spoke to John Maher about this the other day as well, and he would say that Parik O'Kiley, who's now retired from Grange, who was well known for his research into silage, would have had nitrate level as being fifth on the list, fifth or sixth on his list of priorities in terms of um, importance around coating. So if we can get the sugars right, get the crop cut dry, uh, it actually has the potential to outweigh any potential uh, loss, uh, nit nitrogen that can be in, still in the crop. And obviously then that feeds into better quality silage uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem with feed out because of the nitrate because sugar levels have managed to ensure adequate fermentation. So I think we just need to be watching that seed head emergence. Um, I suppose the problem that we run into, especially with pit silage in particular, is that some the, the crop can be at different stages across the farm. And I suppose um, from that point of view, I think we need to be looking at strategies, especially if we're using pits, to make pits more accessible, that we can uh, either have more pits available to us to make different types of silage, or that we're in a position to open a pit very quickly and, and cut at different stages so that we're not aiming that we're trying to cut massive crops of, or massive areas of silage all in the one day. You know, that mightn't suit everybody, obviously. It mightn't suit a contractor to be coming and going, but maybe it might. Um, but just that uh, we can actually open silage pits very quickly. So I think the way we cover silage pits is something that we need to look at as well. Uh, and the speed that they can be opened is, is, uh, is something that people should look at as well. Okay, so just again, this is emphasizing the, the, the role of the data cutting or the time of cutting and how it impacts on the crop yield. So obviously, the longer we leave it there, the bigger the crop is going to be. That stands to reason, I suppose. There's a lot of material growing. But the digestibility, as you know, no different to graze grass, the, the greater the bulk, basically, the lower the digestibility. So we get a, a kind of a plateau point here around the 5th or 6th of June. And this one, I probably would say that uh, it could be even earlier than that, um, where our digestible yield of dry matter starts to drop. So in reality, because we now have this high, big, bulky crop of silage, we're not actually getting, when you look at it on a dry matter basis, the, the value that you're getting is no longer as good as you would have thought. Okay, obviously there's a higher return, I suppose, in terms of our, it's costing less per ton when we get to this stage where we've a bit more bulk, but our dry matter yield isn't being affected as significantly. But when we start to lose that digestible dry matter yield, pesticide is increasing then because you're now producing a crop that isn't really that digestible, obviously, to stock. They're kind of, it's a subsistence living scenario, and you may be supplementing this in order to try and keep stock on, on targets, okay? So just bear that in mind. Um, and I suppose the other thing to bear in mind is that people often ask the question, especially in years like this, generally first cut crops would be perceived to uh, be the biggest, and that would be correct in general, but where it's delayed, Delaying the first cutting, first cut date now uh, will increase the bulk of silage that will be there for our first cut, by, without a doubt. Um, however, when we uh, look at it then in context of a first and second cut combined, delaying that first cut in order to increase the bulk of it doesn't actually increase the volume of silage that will be cut overall. So you're actually better off moving early um, as soon as you can, basically, in the first cut scenario start from scratch, reset the dial with your second cut, and your second cut will actually make up for any potential reduction that you may have encountered on your first cut, okay? Just again, I suppose the emphasis on soil fertility, and again, uh, depending on maybe some places, you mightn't uh, be taking a second cut after some of the ground, and soil fertility may need to be addressed on it. 
so soil fertility influences coating date by virtue of the fact that you, with good soil fertility, you get grass growing better and, and it reaches its correct stage earlier. And again, this is emphasizing that if we have good soil fertility, we hit our target crop yield and our inner around our silage dry matter digestibility that we're trying to achieve here around the 25th or 26th of May. Whereas if we don't have good soil fertility, we'll find a scenario where we walk a crop on an anticipated coating date of around the 25th or 26th, are a little bit disappointed with how it has performed, decide to leave it there to bulk up. Uh, and that's fine, it, it achieves its bulk all right, but our quality deteriorates quite dramatically in that two-week window then that we're waiting for it to, to achieve that extra bulk. I suppose just to emphasize, given that the weather is broken, again, the impact of wilting now. So I suppose some people will be watching for a, a window of opportunity to cut silage in the next week or 10 days. Um, how does it, how you cut it and how you manage it when it is cut is going to influence the dry matter of that crop. And obviously we want to try and have high quality, high dry matter silage, obviously, because um, it's going to lend itself to better performance. So I suppose your six meter row kind of scenario is your, uh, Big swart cut by your big M or your triple moors and all put into one swart in one go. So research that was done in Grange a number of years ago looked at um, cutting this crop with the likes of your big M, uh, cutting it in your 10 foot swarts with, with, with your big M or your triple, triple moor but just not swarting it and then tailing out your, your uh, three swarts as well. Um, 24 hours would be generally the recommended wilt, uh, wilting period. You can see that if you cut with a big M and swart it straight away, basically put it into one big big row, um, you're not going to get a, much of a change in dry matter uh, over a 24-hour wilt. And even over the 48-hour, you're only getting five points of a, of a change in dry matter there. Whereas you're getting in the three in the three meter row, so just leaving it in the swart, doing nothing with it, you get it to 23% um, dry matter within the 24 hours, and you can get up to 31% in the 48 hours. Tailing it then obviously would make sense because you're spreading it out. You're obviously logically going to get it to dry quicker as a result of that. So 24 hour wilt with a tail is going to take you up to 30% dry matter. Leaving it then for uh, 48 hours is taking you to 50% dry matter. And this is in red for a reason because that's going to be excessively dry for a pit scenario. Um, you will probably get away with baling that kind of material, but in some cases that could be possibly too dry. So I suppose it's a combination. Uh, if, you, if you are tailing, you probably don't need to tail for too long. Some people are probably inclined to turn silage crops maybe one or two times, and that can make it excessively dry. And especially for pit silage, that's a, a negative because we now have potential for a lot of air pockets to develop within the pit. Very hard to roll that pit if you're driving the loader. Um, and it means that your insolubility is compromised then basically because you have air pockets developing. You want to limit the air that's in the in the, in the pit as quickly as possible. So I suppose if we're going to, if we're in a rush to try and get this done, maybe cut into, into your three meter rows and take it out and pick it up uh, at within the 24 hour period is going to give you high dry matter silage for your pit or your bale even for that matter. Um, if we're just, I suppose we have to maybe look for, to, in, in order to try and get decent quality dry matter silage, we're probably looking at this scenario here probably rather than this scenario because you're actually losing a share of your sugars and your, your um, quality in the field by leaving it there too long also. So we're probably trying to dry the crop as quickly as possible in the shortest space of time and get it into, into the pit then obviously or into your bales as quickly as possible, okay? So I just see there's a question in there. 
Um, oh, there's a question in here about trying to get contractors to charge by the ton. Uh, they pay by the ton in Holland so that they can go for top quality. I'm afraid I've no influence over that, so that's up to people to discuss. I know, I know there are contractors that are willing to to um, talk to people or will do deals with people on lighter crops that they're not charging the full price per acre, maybe because obviously they're not uh, carrying the same bulk of stuff. But look, that's on a case by case basis, I suppose. Um, but I think uh, you probably have to be willing to live. I, I don't know how, how best to describe it. I think you don't, the, the trade-off isn't as bad as people necessarily perceive. So going for the bulk, you perceive that you're getting better value. But when you look at it on a dry matter basis, actually, in terms of the quality of the silage that you're getting, you're not getting that great value when you wait for that big bulk crop. I suppose to answer your question then, Kevin, I suppose, and if you're looking for real quality, um, you're going to be cutting at lower levels. Then bales possibly come into the role, into, into that position there, because obviously, for example, say a bale is costing somewhere between 15 and 20 euros a, a bale, and you're cutting at uh, six, kind of, six bales to the acre, generally is kind of what you're looking at for kind of high quality silage. You're looking at 60, 90 to 120 euros an acre there, kind of for that scenario, 90 euros an acre, I suppose, for a six bale crop costing uh, 15 euros a bale, which is obviously going to be cheaper maybe than pit silage uh, being charged at 130 euros an acre or 120 euros an acre, as you'd often see. Um, but again, I suppose it, it just, I, as I said, in terms of what you're paying for and what you're getting, you're getting two different things. When you get that really bulky crop, you're getting a lot of silage, but you're not getting the quality. Um, Whereas when you cut that slightly lower quality, uh, bulk crop, you're getting a lot higher quality. So in terms of value for money, there is very little difference in it when you when you uh, look at it um, in down in kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Okay, um, when is the time to head out straight away or leave for a couple of hours? I probably would say Pierce there in that scenario that if you're tedding, you're trying to dry it as quickly as possible, basically to get it in. So I think ted it out immediately. Uh, the sooner you tether it, obviously, if we go back here, hopefully we can go back here. Yeah, the sooner you tether it here, the quicker you're going to get to this this point, or maybe slightly higher, maybe if you're looking for it. So I suppose in general, guys are cutting crops um, early, and they're trying to get. They obviously want to get going then as well to start picking up the crops. I know contractors that I talk to around this area always give out to us for telling people that they should be cutting in the afternoon because. Obviously, everybody looking for them to cut the afternoon limits today that they can kind of get done then as well. So just, I suppose, if you cut the crop, tell it out very quickly, it means that you get to this phase potentially quicker than 24 hours even as well. Um, and it'll allow you to get on and get the job done as quick as possible. And another question in then, can you make good quality silage from older grass wards or does it need to be newer grass? That's a, a good comment, I suppose. The timing of the, the cutting is going to be important. To, if it's very old grass, um, the tendency is that it's going to be a kind of a, a, low, a low, low to the ground, dirty kind of a, a swart that you're going to end up with. Uh, not probably the highest quality grasses in those older swards. Um, so the, the quality of it is going to be compromised in that sense. But I suppose it doesn't have to be brand new, new reseed. So like 10 year old reseeded ground managed well and still produce good quality silage. Um, but yes, definitely your older type, 
and you'll all see it there as you go around the country, those old meadows, literally meadow, hay meadow type stuff being cut for silage. No matter what stage of the year you're going to cut that at, it's not going to make high quality silage. But again, cutting it on time is going to be the difference between being not too much better than straw in terms of feeding value and actually having some sort of a feeding value as well. So there's just another question in then just before I move on. Um, this year, slurry applied in March and early April with the trailing shoes still present in lines, especially around the wheel tracks. The dry crust is lifting in the grass. Would you be concerned about contamination in the pit? And if so, is there anything that can be done now to minimize any risk of contamination slash preservation? Yeah, that's a good question, Aidan. Um, I suppose given the dry April, of course, it's been a problem um, that the, the slurry hasn't gotten broken down. Um, there isn't very much you can do about it in the meantime, to be honest. Um, so unfortunately, there is. I think you probably might try to get them to cut a little bit, slightly higher, maybe not to be pulling it up if possible. Uh, we might be lucky that the rain that's falling there now, we're getting heavy outbursts of rain, or bursts of rain in the last couple of weeks or couple of days, that they might actually help to break down the, the story that is there. Um, I suppose the, the tendency probably between tedding and um, and mowing as well is that it'll probably break up a small bit so it, it won't be in lumps inside in the in the pit. And I would hope that if we could get sugar levels up um, to where they need to be, I suppose, in that three plus region, we should be able to wilt it fast enough that preservation wouldn't be compromised uh, by it. So I'm, it's not a great answer to your question, but I suppose... There's very little, there's nothing you can do right now to correct that if a silage crop is due to be cut in the next week or two um, to, to break that up. It's just hope that nature basically will try and do enough flogging of it with rain in the next couple of days to, to, to soften it up and break it up so that it isn't coming back in, in the crop. But it's a valid question. Um, so just this was the question that's going to be on a lot of people's minds in the next couple of days as well. Again, given the broken weather that we have, do you need it to use an additive? Um, and again, look, this can be very case specific. I know some people that will always, always use an additive almost regardless of conditions. And then there are people that never use additive and can make quite good quality silage. And again, I refer you to the silage manual from the point of view of there's a great step, stepwise approach to this. I go through it here, but if you want to look at it, as I said, just use Google to find this silage manual and have a look through it. So the risk factors for poor ensoilability, so as we, we the higher quality silage can be harder to ensoil, obviously, and many of you will see that with the bales that you take off the platform, especially where there's high levels of in after being used, maybe so. Not happened so much this year because we haven't had that burst of growth just yet. Uh, so the nitrogen can sometimes be still in those crops and they turn into black, black kind of silage, but stocks still eat them quite well. Um, some people are tending to put additive on them to help them to preserve their shorter in application interval. So I suppose um, I would imagine that most of this fertilizer for silage went out relatively early this year. But I suppose there is a risk of where people have gray silage ground uh, for maybe a second time this year that they top up the silage at the, the uh, nitrogen application there and that they could have a short application interval between their nitrogen and their cutting. And then lack of sunshine obviously is another thing. So we need um, we need sunshine to, to drive on the the, um, the dry matter side of things and also to increase sugar levels as well. So just the I suppose we'd advocate that people would test grass for sugars more so than the nitrate. Um, high quality silage can often be made without additives, as it says here. 
big problem with additives, I suppose, is acid. I remember as a young fella, um, you used to see the drums of the, the 200 litre drums of acid going around on the back of the harvesters and the backs of the harvesters were all burnt and corroded from using the acid. You no, no longer get that in, um, because people aren't willing to, to take that risk with the machinery given that they're costing 315, 400,000 to buy them, obviously. So no one additive is ideal in all circumstances and there's a, the different types of additives are down here and we'll look at them in a second. Um, and I suppose you have to make your decisions based on the conditions around the time that you're cutting and ideally you shouldn't start the process obviously if you're not going to be able to finish it. Uh, so that can be very challenging in years like 2009. Um, we had very, very wet conditions and it was very challenging to make silage in those. So maybe the role of the additive might come into play there and you go for a smash and grab kind of scenario and use your additive uh, to try and, and help with the insolubility piece. So where does an additive, where is an additive required? If the sugar levels are two to 3% um, and elevated nitrates or greater than the 600 parts per million, wilting isn't an option, you will need an additive. Uh, if you can wilt it to above that 28%, so as I said, maybe cut it into your 10 foot swarts and, and then take it as quickly as possible to get it dried you won't necessarily need an additive. If you have good conditions, so what really suits it is when you get kind of mild warm nights and sugar levels are good in the, in the grass um, you, and your sugar levels can be quite high there. They can be, we often see five, 6% sugars in, especially in reseeded swards as, as uh, I pointed out there by Louise earlier. Um, the older grasses tend to have lower sugar levels. So where we do get the reseeded swards with good sugar levels, they actually can preserve quite well without an additive. However, if we have sugar levels that are low uh, and it's going to be hard to, to try and, as I said, get that wilt in order to increase them as well, the additive can be required. So the types of additives, um, just need to move this away here for me. Types of additives vary from molasses, as I said, acid is something that you just do not see anymore. Absorbents, which would be your, your bead pulps and, and your holes and so forth. Yeah, people are mixing those through, through pits. But again, it's like in, in most of the cases with these, it's the feasibility and the, uh, the actual practicality of doing these can be quite difficult. So I suppose molasses is, is something that can be done. People carry, I've seen people using um, IBCs, we'll say with a, a tap on it and they drive up and down the pit and layer on a layer of this in and out between trailers been tipped onto the, onto the pit. But again, that, that's a, a big commitment, I suppose, in terms of the effort that's required to do that. So it's not, not exactly very easy to do it. Uh, some some guys can, can apply some molasses, I think, uh, or apply molasses to the swart as well as what I've seen um, being done as well. Acid, as I said, just doesn't exist as far as I can see anymore, given the damage that it was doing to machinery and everything like that. And acid just, and the risk, obviously, the health and safety risk to people handling that and getting burnt. Uh, it was quite a good way of doing, um, of preserving silage, obviously, and it was very common many years ago, but the, the risks associated with it, I've seen it removed altogether, more or less. And then your inoculants, I suppose, they increase the, the lactic acid bacteria population that's there, and that's going to drop your pH quickly. Um, you need to have good conditions, I suppose, because they don't tend to help in that kind of a scenario where you don't have very good conditions. And then also you need to be in a situation where you have good, like using an additive isn't going to make bad quality silage good is the other thing that needs to be pointed out again. So if, if we're in a situation where we're cutting 66% uh, DMD type silage, so we go back to our 
uh, grass phases again, and we look at this one. If we're cutting this type of material, using a silage additive is probably the greatest waste of money you could think of because this is going to have um, quite good insolubility because it's been growing so long in reality and adding the, the, the silage to, or the, the, um, the additive to it isn't going to make it a better quality silage. So that's pretty much it, I suppose. Just to wrap up, there's one or two questions in there. We're cutting at a slightly higher height, decrease the impact of, for losses of P and K. Um, I suppose that the, I don't really think that there's any um, advantage in that, to be honest. Uh, P and K is going to be gone into the crop pretty much, and you also want to get a clean sward uh, so cutting it high, unless you're in a, a red clover scenario, we'd be advocating that people will cut um, as, as tightly as possible to get a, a good, um, a good clean, a good clean um, base for the next crop. And just one other final question, I suppose, in relation to preserving silage in the pit, then would salt help to preserve silage in a pit from Donald Argan? Yes, Donald, I suppose it's something that's uh, worth doing, especially along the top of a pit. I think it does... Uh, help to influence the kind of the, the, the impact of losses on the top of the pit. And as I said, I, uh, I'm hoping to cover a piece on it there next week. But what I think is a very good thing, and Tom Fallon and Francis Quigley had an article in Today's Farm about it lately, is the, the lights of the cling film, which is going to attach very quickly to the top of the sward or to the top of the pit, eliminate the air pockets in it. Um, salt will help as well to remove moisture uh, from that as well, so it can, and it's quite cheap as well. So I think salt on the top of a pit and along the sides of it is a very cheap investment into trying to improve the the um, preservation and it potentially as well. So look, I think we'll uh, wrap it up at that. Um, that's all the questions. Um, we'll be back next week again, and uh, I'll either be talking about how to manage grass next week, or maybe covering that preservation piece in relation to the silage. Just kind of want to watch what way the week is and out because I think grass is beginning to take off and there might be might be worth looking at a piece on that next week in order to because the way it's going to come given the way the conditions have been all coming up together there's a bit of a management strategy going to be needed to try and uh, get ahead of it before it gets ahead of us so I uh, wish you all well for the week and thanks for tuning in in such good numbers and apologies for the slight delay at the start and um, we look forward to talking to you all again next week and stay safe in the meantime thank you that's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.